in the sky. It's a bird. It's a plane. It's your friendly neighborhood Spider-Man. Holy crap. Jake, what have we experienced this last week? I, I don't even. I don't even. Ten, you know, 10 years. 10 years led to this. Ten, to this moment. Ten. To the May episode of Watching Comics. And I'd say it was worth the investment. Well, there's a reason why Infinity War didn't finish the narrative. It's because this is the final piece. You and I breaking everything down. This is it. This is the gauntlet right here that everyone is waiting for. So, world, strap in. I hope you're ready because the Infinity Stones are locked in and Ish is going down. And and I think that it's fair to – because I always stress about this. I always worry about because I don't want to be that guy. So can we just right now, minute two – Let's call it. Let's say we love you guys. We are thrilled for your support. We we value you as a listener. But if you have not seen Infinity War, this episode is going to be filthy with spoilers. It's drenched, waiting around every single corner like Pennywise. It is just going to be here and snatch you up and do horrible, horrible things because spoilers ruin things for people. I get it, but there is absolutely no way you can have a well-meaning conversation about this film without talking about things that spoil the movie. That's just the way it is. I've decided that, and this is our podcast, Jake. We can do that. So spoilers, spoilers, and one more time, spoilers. Yeah. And I realized that there's probably a good number of you out there that you said, "Mm, that movie looks interesting, but I want to know what Jake and Mitch think about it. So Mm -hmm. for, for all of you, many, many people who were waiting to purchase your tickets, I'll just, I'll say great movie. Go see it. Now get out of the podcast. We'll see you later. Once you've seen the movie. Completely agree. Great movie. Go see it. At least top five Marvel comic book movie. Maybe top three there. That's 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 your spoiler free nugget. Yeah. (laughs) Take it into the world and go see it. So with that all being done, let's get to it, man. Let's talk about holy crap. Jokes aside, uh, you know, my my smart mouth all shut up. But man, 10 years and it felt like something that took 10 years to put together. And I mean, before we break it down, I do want to say that to me felt like it was worth the wait. I thought it was 10 years worth of storytelling brought together in such a great way. 10 years and 18 films. That is yes. a st- staggering numbers. And I, I don't want to give in too much to hyperbole, but we are talking about the fantastical world of a comic book arena here. <laughs> and it just, that that's a massive investment, both like on a monetary side and on a time side, but also an emotional side and a buy-in side. Like, I have seen – I'm trying to think. Have I seen all of them? I think oh, I've sure. seen all eight. I Yeah, I'm pretty sure I've seen all 18, just off the cuff going through my head. I think I've seen all 18. I know you've seen all 18. I know people in my life have seen all 18. Like that's that's not a small thing. And here we are, and three, four years ago is really at Comic-Con in San Diego is really when Marvel – 
opened up the floodgates and basically just said, here's what we're doing for the next four years, laying the track, extending the track that has already been laid. And here's where it is going to culminate. Like this is where we are going. And so we knew that we were on this locomotive heading in this direction, but we didn't know what route it was going to take to get there, what the scenery would be like. And we didn't know what it was going to be like as soon as we arrived at the destination, but we knew that the destination was the thing. And here we are, and it it carried an awful lot of weight. Whether whether the movie was good or not, there was a lot of weight going into it going in because this is where Marvel said, we are going to give you this apex. We're also going to give this to you as maybe the perhaps of the beginning of an end so that we can pivot in a different direction. Just so much was riding on this. And it was a really important thing for those of us that have been following this arc for, like you said, 10 years. Yeah. I, I mean, I don't know. I, I really can't think of, I, I can't think of anything to say other than, wow. You know, I mean, and I, and I think you talk about the emotional investment and um, I think that's one of my biggest takeaways. Cause the ending the ending to it. So, so let's get to let's start at the end. Um, the ending to this thing. Let's let's, let's start at the rapture. <laughs> well, yeah, and and the ending of this thing is not surprising on one hand, right? Because basically, the debate going in, everyone who knows me knows I love these things. knows knows that you and I do this podcast, and so people have been asking, like, oh, who who's getting it? Who's going to die? And that's been the <laughs> question going in, like. It's this weird macabre thing we do where we're like, hmm, I've been buying tickets to see Robert Downey Jr. play this role for 10 years. Wonder how he's going to die. And (laughs) the whole thing hinged on we shouldn't be that shocked with that ending. However, somehow it shocked me, right? Like, am I alone in that, that I've never been so stunned by something I predicted six years ago? (laughs) <laughs> there's there's the bumper sticker right there we make t-shirts i've never been so stunned by something i predicted six years ago <laughs> yeah it's i mean so so thanos does what he does and half the people go and that's crazy but that last I, I think so. You texted me. I woke up to this text, and it, um, and I believe if I don't, there's a lot to to unpack here. I'm pretty sure, though, I'm remembering it correctly that the text read something along. It said, "Holy shit!" And yeah, that's exactly what it was. <laughs> and then we talked just a little bit briefly because we do try to protect the the genuine reaction here. Um, but we talked about. You, you told me you thought the last 45 minutes might be like the best comic book movie, superhero movie, anything ever. And that was – I went in like, man, I hope he's right about that. And I, I got to say like I have never been on a roller coaster like that. Like in the same five minutes, I cheered multiple times and then teared up. Mm-hmm. Man. It's and and here here's one thing that I will say. I mean, there's some cinematic stuff I eventually want to touch on, but just just for the ending's sake, because that's kind of where we're parked right now. I don't know if I've ever been more emotionally triggered in a good way. Like, I don't know if I've had a bigger emotional moment at an ending of a movie where I knew that the ending was phony. 
for lack of a better term, if that makes sense. Like clearly because we know of the contract agreements, movies coming up and even just things that are going to happen in the next Avengers movie, blah, blah, blah. We know that, you know, most of those people that faded into dust and quote unquote died at the end of infinity war are mm-hmm. going to come back in some way or another. Like we know that resurrection is going to be a thing, especially since we know that um, the, the time stone makes that possible. So, it was just really interesting for me to be so emotionally invested in something to love what they did cinematically, to find the profound poetry in the operatic nature of everything, but still know that there was going to be more on the other side. And so I didn't need to be sad or sorrowful, but at the same time, I was just relishing in this moment that they crafted so well at the same time. It's a very interesting paradox to be in, but at the, at the end of it all, it was, it was euphoric and wonderful for all the right reasons. Yeah, and I and I think that in that sense, I, I to me it felt a little bit like it, it felt very comic booky in a good way because one of the one of the enduring truths of comic books is that death doesn't matter, and mm-hmm. everybody has. I think there's a there's an ever shrinking list of sacred characters that can't be resurrected, and at this point, I think it's down to just like Gwen Stacy, Uncle Ben, and the Wayne parents. Um, <laughs> that's about it. But the Wayne parents keep dying. <laughs> you like, could kill them as many times as you want. You just you can't bring them back. As many times. It's like they're holograms. Just shoot them. <laughs> don't, um, don't resurrect them like legitly. Yeah, I mean, it has been like ba- Batman needs that chip on his shoulder really bad. <laughs> yeah, aren't we due for another Wayne murder? It's been like eighteen months. It's time we saw somebody gunned down at Crime Alley. Um, I'm sh- I'm sure Gotham is leading to that eventually. The TV show. <laughs> um, no, but so. Um, to me, it felt very comic booky because when I read a comic book and a character dies, it can be handled like, okay, well, looking forward to him coming back. Um, and I would say like Wolverine is a good example of that. He died a while back and it was like, okay, see you in three years. Um, but there's other times where characters die and even though I know it's not legitimate, it is still an emotional moment because the writers and the artists have done something to create this investment for me where the fact that the death is temporary doesn't take away the punch of it. And I felt that this movie tapped into that brilliantly because mm-hmm. nobody, I mean, nobody that's dead is necessarily dead here. And, and because you mentioned the time stone and maybe the only thing in the universe more powerful than an infinity stone, a Disney contract has said that these people are coming back because there are movies coming up for many of the, like it felt like everyone they killed was like everybody who's got at least two more movies coming and Bucky's Bucky faded away and he's got a nine movie deal and he's only made four dudes got some work left to do. (laughs) (laughs) That's just it. I mean like there, there's Spider-Man, this well publicized deal about how many movies they're going to make. And it's like, Oh, we got him after two. No. Um, so, okay. But it was still so – oh, by the way, did you know – I literally read this right before we sat down to record. Did you know that Tom Holland, he completely just winged it? That was all improvised, that scene where he dies at the end? I believe it. The, the so one that destroyed me good. that made it hard to sleep last okay, night. So, okay, so that was – okay, here we are. So I was telling you before we started recording, I I saw this movie um, one, two, three, three days before Jake did. 
And then yeah. uh, Jake watched it last night. And then we had to wait a whole nother day to record because by the time Jake was done watching the movie, it was way too late to record anything. We were both tired. So I, I've been waiting. I've been sitting on my hands for four days to ask you this question. Jake, I know a lot of people in my life. <laughs> you, you are beyond a doubt the largest, most unabashed and passionate Spider-Man fan of anyone that I have ever come across. My question for you is, how was it to watch your prized hero fall on screen in that magnitude? It was... And it was, you know, it was rough because it was so earned. And I mean, rough in a good way. Like it was, it was really emotional because it was so earned and it made, you know, to me, Iron Man's inclusion in Spider-Man Homecoming is a fun thing, but not a necessary thing until last night. And now that feels like a very necessary thing that built this connection between the two of them that gave us that moment there. And, and I think that, you know, and, and one thing I, I want to talk about is Thanos since, you know, it's his movie. Um, but one thing with Thanos is that there's this, there's this thing where like they've humanized him so much. And that's so cool because at no point do you think he's got a good point, but the whole time he's so passionately convict convinced of what he's doing and I think seeing that end of it where you get to watch an individual, you know, you, you see the counterweight to what he's arguing. He's arguing that there's so many people, we have to kill a bunch of them. And you get to see Peter Parker there who's like, yeah, but I matter. And I, I thought that was such a, I thought it was just such a fantastic moment. Maybe the best part of the whole movie. And that's saying something also might not have been, there's a few competitors for that, but Man, it was it was a moment for me. It was a lot because again, Spider Man is a character I've seen die a few times in comics, um, mm -hmm. and I'd say this was to me the most emotional time that I've seen him die. You know, the last few times it was kind of a oh that's interesting. Well, I'll miss him for the next few years, and yep. this one instead was like, man, that sucks. I th I think. This speaks to the the greater detail that is stronger, and I think in MCU than it is in the DCEU, which is for the most part, not all across the board, but for the most part, the MCU has done an impeccable job of casting the right people with the right heroes, mm -hmm. because I I just cannot imagine with the way they wrote it and the direction that they went anyone better than RDJ to play Tony Stark and Iron Man. And I cannot imagine a more per a seeing him in two in or yeah, three installments of movies now, um, one whole one and two bits and pieces. I cannot imagine a more perfect fit than Tom Holland as Peter Parker and Spider-Man. Like it, he it it is so seamless to me that the way that they have they have captured that concept of the the high school john hughes type character slash really cool superhero nerdy guy like it, it's almost as if like they cast tom holland and said let us just watch you on screen for a little bit and then we'll pin <laughs> this character around your story. you know what i mean like the the two are inseparable and part of that and that is a great contributing factor to moments like this. Like you talk about how like 
but I'm not nearly as emotionally invested into Spider-Man as you are. And I almost shed a tear at that moment when he said, Mr. Stark, what's happening? And he reached out to grab him and he's literally crumbling to dust. Like because he's so perfect in that edgy juvenile, but innocent way. And you get so attached to him and that, and we're just all, we're, we we're suckers for that mentor mentee relationship. Like I could not help, but have an emotional reaction to it because he's so, he's so good in that role. And, and I got much more attached to Spider-Man than I thought I ever would because of that. And that, that speaks leaps and bounds to the writing and the works of the Russo brothers and, and the, the universe that Marvel has created and all of that. But it was so, that that whole closing segment was just much more powerful than I expected it to be. One, because I wasn't expecting it to happen, but two, it's like when I realized, like, but most of them are coming back. Here I am. I'm still emotional, which means, damn, they crafted a great moment. <laughs> yeah, you know, one thing that I was really hoping we'd be able to hit for just a second. The, you mentioned the DC and and Marvel difference, and if I I think this crystallized to me what is working about Marvel's films and what, although DC's it, it's hit and miss. I think we're overly critical on it. Not, not we, you and I, but just we as a culture. Um, mm-hmm. I, I think we're overly critical of DC's films, even though I do think some of them are stinkers. Um, but I think what Marvel does that really nails it is Marvel understands itself and they lean into it. Whereas DC seems to be reactionary. And what I mean by that is if I were going to grossly oversimplify the two, the big two Marvel and DC, the difference between them would be that DC's heroes are meant to be these mythical godlike infallible characters that don't fail, that are the ideal that we shoot for. And Marvel's characters are meant to be the fallible humans trying to do better that they screw up. To oversimplify, right? So that does not at all always apply. It does not at Mm -hmm. all mean every comic is written that way. But just to oversimplify the two universes, Marvel's the one where people fail, DC is the one where people show us what to shoot for. And I thought that this movie, that end of the film gut punch, that that ending was really captured to me Marvel finally, not that they haven't been, but finally totally leaning in to the last bit of who they are and saying our heroes fail. And Mm -hmm. to end the movie, oh my gosh, the Infinity Stones on the Russo brothers, to end the movie with that shot of Thanos sighing happily while he looked out at his sunset is, I mean, it was chilling and great and they didn't tease us with the hope to come. They ended it with the heroes failed. You spent 10 years, 18 movies, minimum 31 hours of your life and they failed. Yeah, it's either it's either your heroes failed on the worst massive level possible or the rug was pulled out from under you and the heroes you thought were watching as heroes for 10 years turned out to not be the heroes and Thanos was the hero all along. Um depending on <laughs> which way you want to you want to look at it. Um and that is just it is it is masterfully striking, I think. Um, we can kind of venture into the Thanos bit a little bit if you want, but I, I, man, I'm, 
I was not as familiar with the comic book arc as you were going in, but obviously I was reading a bunch about this movie before it came out. And the Russo brothers were up front from day one saying that this is a Thanos movie. Mm-hmm. And of course that can mean a lot of different things. Um, but they clearly weren't joking. This is a Thanos movie. And before we even speak about narrative, can I just say that even though I love comic book movies, I'm not typically one to get overly gaudy over um, computer effects. I've always been more of a proponent of practical effects. But, yeah. but I also I also know that those things are harder to do in comic book movies, so I kind of just throw that concession to the wind. But I've got to say, I was blown away. I was incredibly impressed with just the way that they captured Thanos, the way they animated him, the way they they constructed him and everything. I think I can I can firmly say that that is the single best big budget CGI I have ever seen is just the Thanos character period. It was it was almost lifelike with and it was pretty incredible how well they were able to detail that and how well they were able to make that look considering how much screen time he had like it wasn't like they just went the extra mile to make this character look really good and he was in one scene this guy chewed scenery in more than half the movie and he looked as real as it could possibly be given the circumstances and i just i am absolutely blown away at that and i think that is probably an underrated detail as to what contributed to making this movie as epic as it was. Yeah, I, I think you're. I actually had that thought there in the theater last night because I, I was thinking about that shot of Thanos at the end of Avengers. Um, mm-hmm. Is it Avengers where you you see him at the very end? You're like, oh no, that's who sent Loki. Um, yep. That shot of Thanos at the end of Avengers is it's not good. Um, it, it looks so kind of a like a camping. Yeah. It's, it's a little bit of a cut scene from like a nineties computer game is what it looks like. Um, mm-hmm. and to think that we've gone from the, you know, the other thing, no, the, the motion capture is brilliant. The other thing with Thanos is, and as, as the Marvel fanboy at the table here, I, I think that Thanos is a character that has often failed to capture my interest as a character, um, because he is so clearly it's, it's the worst kept secret in comics. He's a ripoff of a better character from DC named dark side. Um, and, and, and for me, Thanos has always been more, he's been more about the threat level than the actual character himself. Uh, and I think that this movie may have changed that for me where, where maybe I read comics that involve Thanos through a different lens now. And if I bring that interpretation in, it's going to make it a far more fascinating character to me because the motivation was completely bonkers and absolutely. He's a bad guy. This is not a killmonger thing where you're sitting there like, wow, you know, I don't agree with his methods, but that's a good point. You're the whole time. You're like, this dude's nuts, but it, he was so, it was so logical from his perspective. It was so well-developed and it was so well-performed by Josh Brolin. And I'm finally willing to shut up and say, Josh Brolin is my second choice for Thanos. Um, Cause he nailed it. Um, I, I kind of wanted Ron Perlman, but. Um, Ron, good old Ron. 
I, I know I'm showing, I'm revealing what a like just stereotypical nerd I am there. Cause I'm, I want Ron Perlman and everything. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I will backtrack just one second and say, damn right. Dark side's better than Thanos. Oh but yeah. I, <laughs> like leaps and bounds. But yes, I, what I think, there were two things that impressed me the most with the Russo brothers with this movie. And one of them was directly connected to Thanos. Um, as, as we go along, you're going to find out that I think Thanos was the best part of this movie and my personal favorite part of the film. Um, he was definitely the crux of it. So I'm going to say what I was impressed with was the Russos found a way. And well, the whole story team, cause it wasn't just the Russos writing the thing, the whole, they found a way to um, humanize him mm-hmm. without making him seem less insane. Yeah. Which is utterly remarkable. And I don't know if I can adequately describe how difficult that is to do, like that balance that they weaved and how, how easily they could have tipped that into the campy or the too thin or the didn't earn this um, level. But because I, I agree with what you said, he's not Killmonger. He's not going to drop that line with you as like, well, there's people of our color that are suffering. We need to help them. You need to stop being like Trump and just hogging everything. Purple people um, all over. Yeah. Right. And <laughs> which, by the way, I was in the movie theater, the movie, the, the screening room was almost completely sold out, but I was probably in the upper echelon of age. I was in a showing that was mostly teenagers. When the grimace line was dropped, nobody laughed except for like me and one other 30 year old. <laughs> yes. <guy. laughs> it's the exact same. <laughs> but what, what's interesting is that I still found myself relishing in the emotional human moments that he had, even though the motivation that he like it, I I think I've said this before. When I watch The Dark Knight Rises, I find myself rooting for Bane because I like the rhetoric that he shares and the reasons he claims for for the stuff that he's doing, whether it's real or not. It's like philosophically, I can jive with that. I just don't want a bomb. Thanos was like the complete opposite, right? Where he's like, I do not like, yes, let's protect our resources. Can we like do a better job of taking care of the places we live? I get that. But never in a million years am I going to think that killing billions of people is going to be the answer. <laughs> but at the same time, like all other than that motivation, every single other human emotional moment he had in the film was earned and I identified with. Like as cliche as it is, like he – killed his daughter to get an infinity stone. And I didn't cry at that moment, but I did exhale a very deep cathartic breath because I'm a father of a little girl. And like that pushes a button for me, you know? And and it's just like, it was interesting to see him wrestle with real emotion, have real connection at certain times and have to make difficult decisions, whether I agreed with his motivation or not, the dude was feeling deep things. And that is the needle that they thread. Yeah, I um can we also on the subject of the the soul stone effing red skull? Oh, oh, okay. So there were there were two moments where the whole audience verbally gasped almost <laughs> in unison when I was watching this film. Um the one was when Iron Man got stabbed and for those like 15 seconds you think he's going to die. Mhm. But the the other one was when Red Skull appeared 
out of yeah. the shadows and everyone just went like it was it was like a gasp but it was like a sound that would only translate into holy shit if words were being made but there weren't <laughs> words because it was just so crazy it was just a sound so it was just like oh it almost <laughs> just went across the entire theater it was magnificent well and did you see that it was um it was not hugo weaving in the part it was some other dude yeah, it's like he's like a celebrity impersonator or something, and then they're like, "Well, his head's a skull. We don't need someone who looks like him." If he can just impersonate the voice enough, he's yeah. only on screen for five minutes. It'll be fine. I I really hope, I really hope that this is the beginning of a true return of the Red Skull, because I love that villain so. Because like it's. We just need a Nazi up there to hate. You know, that's all we need is a villain. Like even Thanos is a little bit likable at moments. We just need a Nazi that we can be like, no, go get him, Cap. And, and we, we talked about this a little bit last week or two weeks ago. Oh, we did. Here, didn't we? we did. But here's here's the problem. Captain is either going to die or disappear after the next movie. He's That's not true. renewing his contract and he's done. So it's like if the Red Skull has a Loki type run in him where he's just going to start appearing and shit for the next six movies. Like I don't, I don't want it to be a hollow effort. I want it to mean something. And he is by definition, captain's villain. Mm. I don't know. What do you think? I, I think, yes. Yeah. I agree with you actually. That, that is my, you, you know, you say that and I'm like, Oh, right. The timing's off on this. Um, no, but you're I love, right. But I love Red Skull. Like I want, I wanted more Red Skull. We ta- as we said before, it's like he he's the one. Well, and that's the thing is that like Red Skull has occasionally in the comics transcended his status as a one hero villain, um, mm-hmm. but he's never been like Doctor Doom or Magneto where everyone can rally to fight him. Um, mm-hmm. He he really works best as a counterpoint to Steve Rogers. And I mean, even if you put Bucky in the captain America role or Sam Wilson or, or, you know, if you try to keep that franchise going with someone else as captain America, now it really doesn't work quite as well as like, Hey, here's the guy I fought in world war two. And we're still fighting in 2018. Like it just doesn't hold Mm -hmm. up quite as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But man was that, that was a moment that I, I loved, loved that moment, did not see it coming. It was wonderful. Having that audience reaction was great. Like just little nuggets like that are an additional thing that contribute to why you go to the movies. That was, that was one of them. Um, I just pay off to people who've been with this ride from the very start. And it was such a poetic way, like a darkly poetic way to like cat to, to reappear him and be all like, he's been cast there. He's like, he's, yeah. he's hanging out in this, in this nether. And it's, it was wonderful. Every, the, the conjuring of it was wonderful. Yeah. Um, yeah. So Thanos, ev- just everything that they did touching with Thanos was remarkable. And, and Josh Brolin is like, I'm not sure. I can say that he's better than Andy Serkis as Smeagol in Lord of the Rings, but this may be the second finest performance I've seen of an actor delivering a performance that is CGI. Yeah, I'd go along with that. I mean, because Andy Serkis is like the godfather of the whole thing, and you you can't really ever top him. 
But if anyone was exactly. going, I'd say Brolin gave him a run for it. Because what I lo- what I loved about Brolin was that he. This seems so campy to talk about in this light with Avengers Infinity War. Because if there was one word I would describe used to describe this movie, it would be operatic. Mm-hmm. Um, it was it was so <laughs> larger than life that it was it was not, it was beyond. Um, anything else other than operatic but what what's interesting about that is brolin brought nuance and it would have been really easy to just go fierce gravelly voice and overly passionate yelling and monologuing and just stereotypical powerful villain you know what i mean that we've seen a thousand times in cartoons and movies and comic books and stuff like it would have been really easy to just make him an overbearing type of campy character and he he didn't he he controlled the emotion with his voice. He was intentional. He was subdued. He was understated. He was, he was just very much engaged and made it as three-dimensional as he possibly could considering he was playing a Titan like Warlord. And I just, I, I think it was a powerful performance for both the choices he did make as well as the choices that he did not make that were the low-hanging fruit, so to speak. And I mm. love that. And that I, that's me attempting as as a you know an amateur actor with acting in my educational background like that's that's me attempting to verbalize what it means to make a character like that meaningful and memorable but not necessarily know why you just know you liked him better than villains like steppenwolf or the villain from wonder woman or the villain even the red skull sometimes you know stuff like that he he brought something differently but it wasn't because he added an extra layer it was because he just he made it as human as possible, and that was a good counterbalance to the operatic stuff going around him and also a good antithesis to just what we've been accustomed to seeing. Well, and I, I think um, – man, I agree with everything you're saying, and, and I'm going to try to be a little better than usual because usually on these things I end up just like saying, hey, good job, Mitch. Um, <laughs> and I'm, I'm going to run and say, can, can I take that and pivot to say, is it fair now? In the last year, we've had the Vulture, we've had Killmonger, now we've had Thanos, and then we've also had on the small screen, we've had Kingpin, and we've had the Purple Man. Is it fair now to say that Marvel has solved its villain problem? Yes, 110%. Um, I think if we're just even talking just cinematically with the movies, I cannot think of um, any series of movies, whether it be comic book related or not. Indiana Jones, James Bond, Star Wars, DC, um, Batman or Superman, any of the Marvels, Spider-Man, anything you want to throw up there that we have seen on the big screen. I cannot think of a better back to back to back installment of three straight villains than um vulture killmonger and thanos yeah i mean it really and it's interesting because right before i mean just really up until very recently a lot of the think pieces on marvel because they've been honing their craft so well we're starting to run out of criticisms right and Mm -hmm. a lot of the think pieces have been well when are they going to solve the villain problem and the villain problem has almost become like a common thing people are talking about and i think you know, you're right. Thanos could have been, and it would have been justifiable too, with so many characters. The Russo said, I saw an interview from today 
where they were laughing and they said, we kind of turned Hollywood off for a couple of years to film this because basically everyone who's famous had to stop and do this movie. And (laughs) it would have been really justifiable to say, hey, you know what? Look who we've got here. Like we even went out and got Sherlock Holmes to play Doctor Strange. We don't have time to give motivations to giant purple man that wants to kill everyone. That's enough they just need something to punch. And I think we would have all given them a pass if it had been a good movie. But mm-hmm. I think that the fact that and I think I really think Thanos is what takes this from because this I, I think this is the best Avengers movie. Um of like Avengers oh. one, Avengers two, Avengers three. I think this is the best one. And By I far, th- not not even close because Joss yeah. Whedon's awful. <laughs> and I think that um of the I, I think part of what takes this from good Marvel movie to one of the best Marvel movies. And no, I'm not ready to give it a ranking because I'm, I'm still processing it. Um, I mean, I will, if you want to force me, but um, (laughs) I just don't want to stick to it in six months, you know? Um, But I think Thanos is what elevates it from the tier that it could have been at to the tier that it is at. Mm -hmm. I I think that's a perfect way to sum it up. I couldn't agree more. That's, that's the way it is. And, and, I think the the villain argument by long and short was just more of not necessarily a villain problem, but more of a Joker hangover. Like mm. D- DC has great villains. I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna fight that till the day I die because they do, and because I'm a DC fanboy, I get that. But also at the same time, if you're talking comic book wise, it's pretty balanced. If you're talking cinematically, yeah. I get what you're saying, but I think the Joker is such a freaking unicorn that he just has the power to kind of loom over everything. Um, and 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 Christopher Nolan did great work with Bane and those sorts of things. But like, I mean. Even even the final battle and what with as much as I love Wonder Woman and I even claimed it needed to be nominated for Best Picture, the final battle in Wonder Woman left much to be desired. And in Batman versus Superman, it was still another Lex Luthor movie at a certain level. We've had like twelve of those, and I'm a Superman mm-hmm. fanboy, and I love the movie anyway. You know what I mean? So like I get that, but I think some of it is also just like, well, we've got the Joker, and um, that only goes so far. Yeah, but. Um, I, I, if you're looking just at comic books, though, it's about even because if if Joker is the flagship for DCU, Marvel still has Doctor Doom. It's just people forget about that. And Marvel also has uh, Magneto. And it's like those two guys have have enough juice to carry their own weight. It's just Magneto has been in the X-Men franchise for movies and Doctor Doom has yet to be given the treatment he deserves on a screen of any kind. And so there we are. Yeah, that's, you know, and I think that brings me, that just puts the thought in my head. Kudos to Marvel for doing all of this because, you know, if we, to go back in time 10 years, you know, nobody really gave a crap about Iron Man until, I mean, even comic book people were like, yeah, you know, he's got the demon in a bottle story. And other than that, you know, he's just kind of there as a, he's an Avenger that shoots stuff. And Iron Man doesn't really have a very, illustrious career marvel i say the same marvel in the 90s they sold off the big properties that people already knew like x-men and spider-man and to a lesser extent fantastic four and they took what everybody considered the b list of their roster and made it the a list 
And it's, these- it's a wonderful way to raise up a new generation of comic book lovers. Cause what I love yeah. is when I listen to reviews and read reviews or podcasts or anything of stuff like this, people that are our age or older say the same thing. It's like, well, you know, I was X-Men and Spider-Man, which is true because those, those were the guys at that time. And now like, I realized like I was sitting in the movie theater watching this movie and it was almost sold out if not sold out. And almost every single person in there was in high school or younger. It seemed like, and all of those people, the, the only world they know are these other guys being the new A-listers, which is just remarkable to me. And I feel like that just bridges the gap between like comic book nerdery and makes it more of a socially acceptable thing. And I love that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's definitely, um, I think, I wonder if life would have been as easy for me in the eighties as it is now. But, um, I, I think that they, they've just really done something remarkable here. It's, and, and everybody is seeing in their praise and I don't want to get lost in all of that. And I don't want to be derivative, but man, it has been a wild ride getting there. But let me ask you this and I'm going to be, I, I feel like I'm, I'm going to be the one to throw this out there because I'm the Marvel guy typically, so I want I want to be the one to ask it. What did you think didn't work about the movie? Just because no movie is perfect, we are definitely heaping a lot of praise on it. This is not me saying, and now we're going to dump on it for 45 minutes. But what did you think just didn't really work? Okay, so first caveat. I understand that this is a comic book movie and story convention in comic book movies doesn't necessarily like continuity isn't necessarily the most important thing. I, I, I understand that there are some certain liberties you have to take that said. I am just not 100% for sure. I am buying a storyline that complete that can be completely derailed by the fact that Scarlet Witch fell in love with a robot. literally the entire thing crumbles if they just realize okay maybe we should stop sleeping with each other and do the greater good like that's (laughs) it the only the only reason thanos gets his infinity stone gets visions infinity stone is because they can't stop saying but i love you even though billions of people are gonna die like and and vision isn't even human he's a glorified (laughs) alexa right (laughs) if if we really want to talk about what doesn't work about this this film it the big elephant in the room is like okay so she fell in love with a robot and they decided that half of humanity deserved to suffer because of it that's an over oversimplification but that's what happened right like the entire t- – how many opportunities did they have to do something about him and about that stone before Thanos was around? Like right there next to – like I don't know. that yeah. the, entire, the entire story comes down to ultimately – if we want to water it down and oversimplify, the entire story comes down to maybe one of the most paper-thin love stories I've ever seen in an arc of movies. Well, and, and that's interesting because that didn't even occur to me. It, you know, it's, it's funny. It's a romance that I take for granted um because it is such a big part of comic book history it's mm-hmm. like how on Jessica Jones i really liked the landlord that she started dating but frankly i can't handle him cuz he's not luke cage 
Exactly. Um, she belongs with Luke. <laughs> yeah, it, it's just like it's like, oh, this is cute. Get out of here. Um, it's, it, well, it's like when it's like when Clark Kent's dating Lana, and you right. don't learn that part of, and you don't learn that part of his story until after he's already grown up, and he's like doing a flashback thing. So you're like, dude, what are you, what are you doing with not Lois? Like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. What, what is that? <laughs> yeah, and so I that's really interesting because I've taken that relationship so much for granted that I didn't question it that much while watching the movie. And those are all really good points. I think that my complaint about the relationship is we saw these little hints of it in Civil War. And then it's suddenly this full-blown thing that I'm supposed to be invested in. It I, wasn't I, earned at all. Yeah. And I totally accept that it it developed off screen. And that's not my problem because where else were you going to put these two characters in when you look at the films that came out between then and now? There wasn't a spot to develop this further. However, as the moviegoer who's got everything else going on on screen, we've had so many movies to develop our investment in. I mean, like we talked about, Homecoming had the Spidey Iron Man relationship develop. Um, yeah, I think that there was just a lack of opportunity to develop that, to make it such a crucial part of the movie. It's not that it happened that bugs me. Now that you bring this up, I am thinking, yeah, that's kind of a weaker thing to make it one of the main plot points. Yeah, I was listening to the Watch podcast actually this morning on my commute to work. The Watch is from the Ringer Podcast Network and two guys, uh, Chris and Andy, that host it. It's one of my favorite just like TV movie pop culture podcasts that I listen to. And they were talking about this movie and Chris just said this. He goes, I don't want to be overly sensitive. But he's like, why didn't – he's like – vision is a robot right like he's artificial intelligence so why and they knew that thanos was coming for how long and he's like so why didn't they just like chop off his head or something (laughs) i'm just sitting here thinking like yeah that's that's it well and there's they kind of address it but there is this question also of like why couldn't he just upload his brain to something I mean, we saw Ultron do that like 40 times. Couldn't he There's just... There's so many options. Yeah. And, and again, it all comes back to Tony Stark. He makes something really awesome and can't control it. But I want to... I I mean, there are a couple of smaller things I didn't like. Like, um, I've been on the record on the internet as saying that I think Edward Norton was the better Hulk than Mark Ruffalo. And it's not uh-huh. a knock on Mark Ruffalo. I see most of Mark Ruffalo's movies. But like... I really wasn't feeling the whole um, impotent Hulk thing in this movie. Um, like, I don't know, just was seemed a little dumb to me. Mm. Uh, you know, they've I, said I, I guess that's maybe, interesting because they they're saying that they like stretched it out too long. Maybe they just stretched it out too long. Like maybe maybe the Hulk struggling to get it up, so to speak, um, <laughs> in the first in the first half of the movie was maybe an issue, but like in the big final battle and the most majestic 40 minute segment of the entire thing and everything like that. And he still has to like hide. And so he's got to wear this iron man suit and everything like that. It's like, mm, mm, well, but, you know, it's interesting. So they've said that they're trying to do a Hulk story without doing a Hulk movie since the rights are all tied up between a few studios. And yeah, yeah. the idea is to do through Thor Ragnarok, um, Infinity War, and then I would assume the fourth Avengers movie, they want to tell kind of a mini Hulk story through that. But that kind of hits on what I think would be my thing is this is hard because it's a criticism, but it's also not. 
because I think one of the greatest strengths of the movie is how invested I was in almost every single character on screen. Um, but at the same time, I think I could be invested in those characters without giving, without trying to squeeze in as many subplots as they did. Because like, I, I guess like to me, there's enough subplots with Thor trying to get his hammer or get his new weapon, which is awesome between the whole thing with vision, which I, I get, even though I don't, you know, and with Thanos and with all these different stories going, you tried to squeeze in the Hulk story. And to me, that's it's where like, they got a little carried away. I think that was, that was fat that could have been trimmed. Yeah. And that's, I mean, I think that might be my criticism. If I was going to say one thing that I didn't love, it might just be, there was a you know, and you could probably say this about any movie that goes over two hours, there could have been a little bit more editing. Um, just, yeah, again, Hulk is awesome. I love Hulk and I've developed this weird new attachment to him because he's become my son's favorite hero. And so I have this weird Hulk attachment, but I don't know that that story contributed to the infinity war. No, I, I'm inclined to agree with you. Um, I've got a couple of questions for you. Yeah. One, what do you make of, if there is anything to make of the, the statement, I'm assuming it's a statement. I think this was very intentional and it's not a statement about like um, anything outside of the film. It's just, I think it's a symbolic statement about the narrative maybe, but anyway, what do you make of Iron Man and Captain America not sharing the screen at all in a two and a half hour movie? They never, they never shared the same screen. And um, my other question is, what do you think about Thor coming in and being the guy? I have, I'm so, these are both things I reflected on during the movie. Um, Firstly, I am a little disappointed at the lack of Iron Man and Captain America together, even though we got some great stories out of both of them. So it's okay. Um, I want to see that reunion and you know, one of the biggest moments to me, just as far as, oh, crap, this is so cool, is in the original Avengers when Thor, Iron Man, and Captain America, who are the big three of the Avengers, all stand there together for the first time. I'm like, oh, man, I can't believe I'm seeing this. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. to get the three of them back together after the Avengers have broken up and after the Civil War and with Thor's been off doing his own thing, um, you know, Thor and Cap together on screen was a really cool thing. May, I think what I think is that maybe they saw what we did as far as too many subplots and they didn't want to let that because that's a big one, right? Like that thing's going to take up a lot of screen time. If you're going to do it, you need to do it right. And maybe that's something they thought they could fit into the next movie instead and then maybe so maybe in a year we're back here talking about it and we're saying, man, I'm glad they didn't address it in three because it worked so well in four. They may, um, they may have set the table for it to be a centerpiece in four, especially since literally half the characters are gone right now. Yeah. So it may be something they hit in like the first half of the next movie. Well, and and you know, I mean, Tony's now in such a bad place that he's man, he's dark, dark, dark place. Dark, oh my dark gosh. Place. 
Tony's hurting, and that's probably going to make him a little bit more open to some reconciliation. Um, he he's going to have a moment of reckoning because he's responsible for Ultron. He's yeah. responsible for Thanos in a way because he's responsible for Vision. He's responsible for Spider Man. He's I, just I mean, you go on down the line. He's he's in a dark place. And you got to think that looking at the two characters, do you feel like? And this is pure speculation for a film that's been filmed but won't be released for another year literally do you feel like caps the guy to give him the absolution um like maybe coming back with captain america getting the band back together is going to be that moment where cap's going to say something or give him an opportunity to just absolve him of that and say listen we all make mistakes yours just happen to be a lot bigger but that doesn't mean you can't grow from it and i think that might be the end of their story maybe that's where this is all heading it's possible, but my my follow up question would be: Will it still be at the expense of something? Will that will that absolution come because um, of a sacrifice that Cap makes that costs him his life, or will it come because of um, Tony losing something else and about to lose it, and Cap has to piece him back together? Um, I don't know. I, th- I can I, see. I it think both it's going to be at the cost of Tony's life. I mean, I've been really clear from the start that I think this first phase of Avengers films one through four ends with Tony Stark's death. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think that I just can't shake the feeling that that conversation with pepper at the very beginning about a baby is them laying the seeds for that. And it's this idea of, you know, the next generation's coming and now he can pass on. And I, I don't know. I just, I see they're starting to lay the seeds for something and I, I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure that that's where it's going to be come back together with cap. And then he's going to end up sacrificing himself. And that's going to be the absolution. I think that's fair. And that's very, that's very comic book poetry. Yeah. It, it's, yeah. No. And part of it is cause I've read these things for so long. It's, it's, it's very welcome. And I think that would be an appropriate end. Um, so what, what so do you make Thor. of Thor just kind of coming in and being the LeBron James of everything? Oh, I loved it. I, um, that's the moment I cheered at right before I sat down and had to fight back the tears is, um, when Thor shows up with his new hammer and just starts just wrecking shop. I I think that all we were missing was some Led Zeppelin behind it. Um, (laughs) because gosh, how did it take three movies to realize that immigrant songs should play whenever Chris Hemsworth starts beating people up? Um, I mean, I, I'm, I, I don't know if truer words have ever been spoken. (laughs) I I think that Thor is Thor really like, I I don't know if I'm going to go so far. We'll see in a few minutes here. I don't know if I'm gonna go so far as to call him my MVP, but Thor really stole the show a lot in this film. And he had, whenever he was on screen, be it through comedy or through drama or through just pure butt force man yeah thor really really stole a lot of his scenes they should call thor ragnarok thor resurrection because i i man thor dark world is almost spider-man three level bad it's pushing it it's 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 in that it's in the universe like it's in the orbit that solar system there um and what was interesting is i've i've read about this is 
um, the Russo brothers had the skeleton and the, the main pillars of the script penned. And then they had a couple of different things that were left open that were going to, I guess for more or less, they were going to wait and see how things went with like, um, some things with black Panther, some things with Thor, some things with captain Marvel, and just kind of how some things were materialized and see who was going to get cameos, who was going to do what, blah, blah, blah. Right. And they saw what, uh, what, what's his name? Titi Waikiki from Taika Thor Waikiki. Ragnarok. Take a Waikiki. They, they saw what he did with Thor resurrection essentially and said, that is the missing piece to a couple of parts of, of our script. And so they threw that version of Thor in there and made it work. And it is absolutely incredible. And I just, I I am loving this new direction that they have taken with Thor, the sense of like, he still feels deeply, but he's also a beefcake. He's also funny, but he's capable of these things. He's loyal. Um, all of that. It's making him both more complex, but also more entertaining as well. And yeah, he really, I was not prepared for him to carry as much of the of the burden of this film on his shoulders, but he did it perfectly. Like it was, it was wonderful. It wasn't too much either. I, yeah, I think it was they, completely welcome. They used, you know, I would say, um, and I hope I'm not hitting a few buttons here. Cause I know you don't care for Joss and I know you think Norton was the better Hulk. And for the record, I love Edward Norton, but I thought the first Avengers movie used the Hulk really intelligently by not using him much. And I think that's part of why you have this like, insane excitement when hulk is on screen these days is because they've stopped overusing him and i Mm -hmm. thought that hulk got that same intel or not hulk gosh i thought thor got that same also can we talk about mea culpa i said viola davis was in civil war i have been so (laughs) embarrassed since i had that moment i swear i just had the wrong imdb page open guys i swear i'm not that dumb um (laughs) um but the I just thought they used Thor with just the right amount of restraint that he really stole those scenes. I mean, it's even little things like, like the way he played off of others with Drax calling him a pirate angel or with, he speaks Groot cause he took an elective on Asgard. Like that's so funny. And it's pairing, so smart. pairing him with guardians of the galaxy. <laughs> after so after- good. With, with what we had with Thor Resurrection, pairing him with Guardians of the Galaxy was phenomenal. That and honestly, that if I if I'm going to be completely honest about what I what I was feeling about this movie going in, my main concern was how they were going to weave in the Guardians of the Galaxy into this and make it feel like it was appropriate. I get that Gamora was Thor was Thanos' daughter. We knew that going in, but that was only one piece. And there's yeah. a bunch of characters in this crew, and you can make the argument that Guardians of the Galaxy 1 is the best Marvel movie. Like That is a legitimate take that is out there that I think has weight. But mm-hmm. they, up until this point, exist existed outside of the Avengers. Right. And so I was like, man, that that's the piece I'm worried about because I really like what they're doing with these guardian guys. And I just don't know if it's going to fit and all of that, but that Thor piece and then teaming up Thor and Bradley Cooper's raccoon alter ego, (laughs) that just, that was a stroke of borderline genius. That was one of the better portions of the film. And it's really difficult to be able to say that when that was one of the biggest question marks. And so clearly that was the Russos know what they're doing. Well, and, and how much of a Testament is it to the joyful insanity, the delirious 
joy and wonder of this film that one of the more emotional moments come from comes from Bradley Cooper the raccoon talking to space viking Chris Hemsworth mm. like and just, there it is there it is also <laughs> also is. also I don't know what else to say about it I don't know that I have anything else to say about it I just have to acknowledge it Peter Dinklage as a literal giant dwarf <laughs> that is what um so what's interesting is i've noticed just in main pop culture things um with movies like get out and black panther some movies have just really taken um pop culture by storm the word that was being touted about on podcasts and think pieces all across the interwebs was zeitgeist and now the word that has popped up with avengers infinity war is MacGuffin. <laughs> and if we're going to use the word MacGuffin because that's the buzzworthy word right now, then I use the word MacGuffin for Peter Dinklage as a giant. <laughs> I don't know what else to call it. It's so like it was just I just stared at the screen and I was like, hmm. it's a little too on the nose. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, I, I, I just I guess I'm not like well plugged in enough with that population to feel like is this a win for someone or did we set anybody back or is this just a thing and I'm thinking too hard and by that point the raccoon was talking again so whatever but yeah, moving on <laughs> yeah all right well Jake MVP who won <sighs> Infinity War who was the most valuable this is so hard. I have to give honorable mentions and I'll try to keep them short. Gamora has bored me so much as a character for two guardians movies. She's been the dark spot. Um, and I don't think she's bad. I just don't think she's interesting. Um, and then suddenly she was awesome in this movie. Oh my um, gosh. Like Z- Zoe Salanda has acting chops. I've oh, seen yeah. her in enough pre action movie craze that in, in indie movie selections that she has made, she's got it in her. It's just, obviously she's gone the franchise route, which is fine because we need ass kicking women in cinema, but yeah. man, she, she, she melded the two beautifully in this movie. Like she, she showed her acting range that a lot of people didn't know she had here. And she really glued those key pieces together. Yeah. So she's definitely on my list. Um, Thor, we've already talked about, um, I, I thought that, um, I thought that Iron Man and Dr. Strange and Spider-Man, that whole trio there was really well executed, but I have to be lame. I, I have to be, uh, I have to be derivative, but I have to just say, I mean, Thanos steals the whole thing. He's this, mm-hmm. character that could and should have been so like, like we talked about, could and should have been so one note. And instead it's this incredible performance that just brings the whole movie to life. I I just, Thanos is the guy I got to go with him. I can't agree more. I was, I was ready to disagree with you because I thought for sure you were probably going to, going to go with a hero. And so we, we are here right now uh, agreeing that (laughs) Thanos is, this is Thanos's movie. Like it's called Avengers infinity war, but really this could just be called, um, you know, Thanos epic. Yeah. Well, it's like, I feel like I just voted for LeBron James for MVP and it's the lazy choice, but it's also the lazy choice because it's the right choice. Exactly. Yeah. He, you, you nailed it when you said it, this movie, if, 
if we remove maybe two or three of the humanizing moments from Thanos and we take Brolin's portrayal of the character and amp it up to 11, as they like to say, Mm -hmm. then this movie still would have been very good. Yes. It's those few extra humanizing moments and Brolin knowing what he's doing. It took this very good movie and made it an excellent movie. Well, and I think Josh Brolin just proved to us why he deserved to get all 16 superhero movie roles he's got this year. And mm-hmm. that, you know, there, this is the year of the Brolin and long may it last. Get your Brolin on, man. <laughs> um, <clears throat> so gun to your head, you have 30 seconds to justify and to try to pick gun to your head. Where does this rank in the MCU? Um, gun to my head. My knee jerk reaction is to say it's probably a solid number three um, because I still got to leave Black Panther at number one. Um, number Black two Panther was so good, right? Like, <laughs> Black Panther was just so damn good yeah, and so just, fun. It, it, yeah, it just it's I can't I can't challenge that. Um, number two is a weird spot for me because if depending on the day you ask me, I'd probably say either Guardians two or Thor Ragnarok. But I think that um, I, I think that this movie takes a solid three for me. I, I would put Infinity War as the third best Marvel film, but I reserve the right to change that as soon as our next episode once I've processed exactly. it more. <laughs> yeah. And fifteen more times as the years progress, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I've I'm completely comfortable saying that Avengers Infinity War is in the top five. Like it's in the conversation I have of Black Panther, Iron Man one, Winter Soldier, and um Guardians one, and then Affinity War. Like it's it's in that mix, top five. So mm-hmm. may, maybe four, maybe three. Um it's it's in that mix no matter what, and then subject to change. Um but I I don't know if I can dethrone Black Panther, like you said, like man. Black, like Black Panther is one of those that both contributes to the greater narrative of the MCU in a wonderful way, but also in a vacuum as a standalone as a darn near perfect superhero movie, if nothing else exists outside of it. And yeah. the representation factor of it, I just don't know if anything can dethrone T'Challa in Wakanda. And it's just the man. Well, and I think, you know, look at those movies that we just we've been naming and raving about the last couple months on this podcast. How much has the bar been raised just in the last calendar year for superhero movies? And like everybody keeps predicting the end of this trend and the the final onset of superhero fatigue. But I, I think that as long as they keep raising the bar and as long as they keep being unafraid to try new things, there's no reason this can't go on longer than we think. I put this on the watching comics Twitter the other day, actually. It's I, I don't think it's superhero fatigue. I think it's the populace knowing that greatness is possible within this medium. And so they only want greatness because we know that Dark Knight and Wonder Woman and Avengers Infinity War and Deadpool, we know those movies are possible. And all of those movies broke box office records. We Black Panther demolished everything. Infinity War worldwide box office almost made back the money that they spent in this outrageously expensive movie. Um, like 
it is in a single weekend and is the the largest opening weekend of any film would be a star wars movie and so like it's not superhero fatigue it's just we don't want mediocrity don't give us a superhero movie for the sake of a superhero movie give us one that's made well and people will pay for it i think that's what it is but i i've i said last year last cinematic season was pound for pound the best single season of comic book movies we have ever had going all the way from atomic blonde up to the stereotypical superhero movies just like there there wasn't a bad one in the bunch i mean justice league was was the worst of the bunch but i still wouldn't even call that a bad movie but he's like you had atomic blonde thor ragnarok guardians of the galaxy 2 spider-man homecoming um justice league wonder woman like it just was an incredible from top to bottom run and that's the the momentum we're running off of and then now we that led into the start of this year so we've got black panther and avengers infinity war kicking this cinematic season off that's pretty incredible well and with deadpool 2 right around the corner deadpool 2 ant-man and wasp looks like it's not gonna suck either so like it's it's we're we're, we're riding high on the momentum there and then captain marvel's gonna come across and it's gonna do some great things as well it's gonna be remarkable I'm very excited for that film. And if you didn't stay for the after credits scene on Infinity War, then next time you see it, stick around because there's a little tease for Captain Marvel. Yeah, I think that sets the tone because if I if I understand correctly, the Captain Marvel movie is going to take place in the 90s. Yep. And just and just do a great job of setting her up and all of her ass kickery. And then we will usher her into um, the next Avengers movie as someone who's going to help swoop in and fix everything. And we're already going to know who she is. So it won't matter. So can I take one moment here to give my theory, follow up on how I ended last week that I think the fourth movie is going to be secret wars. And that doesn't necessarily mean So Secret Wars means a lot of things to comic book people, but why I think it might be the title of the fourth Avengers movie has more to do with what I think they're going to use this as an excuse to do. So you've definitely got some bad things that need changing in the Marvel Universe now, right? And what Mm -hmm. I think is at the same time you have this business deal has gone down where Marvel is about to, I mean, they've made the deal, they're just waiting to get it approved over the next year. Marvel's about to acquire the X-Men and the Fantastic Four back into the fold here. And there is a very comic booky way of fixing this that Marvel did recently, well, not super recently, but a couple of years ago in the comics with an event called Secret War, where in the process of fixing a catastrophic galactic problem that killed almost everyone they also condensed as they fixed it and pieced the world back together they condensed their various universes back into one universe and there is a i think that if you go that route with it they've got an excuse to at the end say oh hey there's mutants running around oh yeah there's this family we call them the fantastic four and it's a really comic booky way that they can introduce these why are there suddenly all these new characters popping up and maybe it's not as cut and dry as that but i think that it's a way that they can do service to the fan base and also access like also you know use the narrative itself to bring in these new stories that they want to tell and if that's what happens roads have to lead to galactus right like if especially if they're bringing in fantastic four into the into the fold 
I, I mean, he's got to get in there some point. And I, I'm just going to, I'm going to be the latest, not the loudest or the last to say it. I need Galactus to be a giant planet sized man with a silly hat and purple spandex. None of this cloud bull crap. Give me silly hat or give me death. <laughs> it's on, it's on the record. There you have it. <laughs> Marvel, you know what to do. Cause I know you're listening. <laughs> All right. Well, Jake, that's, that's a wrap on Infinity War. Until the next time we want to dish about it, maybe next week again, because there's a lot there. We'll be unpacking yeah. this thing for until the next movie. There, pretty much. We've got a year. <laughs> so check us out on Instagram at Watching Comics Podcast. Also hit us up on the Twitters at Watch Comics Pod with an X, Comics with an X, or on watchingcomics.com. Jake and I want to hear from you. We love fan mail. We also want your ideas on, um, uh, episodes on stuff that we could do because uh, we're going to get some ideas on some cool stuff that you want want us to talk about. Yeah, I mean, Marvel can only release so many movies a year and, you know, we're going to need input on things to discuss. I'm pretty excited. I'm real psyched for next week's episode, actually. I think this is one of our better ideas in a while. And it's gonna we're going to be... Is, is it okay to say what we're going to talk about, do you think? Yeah, go for it. Give, give them a nice little teaser. Uh, you know, next week, I, I think you nailed it in our, our um, I'm going to call it production meetings, but really it's just a text message. Um, <laughs> Mitch nailed it in our production meetings uh, by referring it, to it as the shut up and give it to me. Um, the next week, we're going to talk about dream projects that we want to see that haven't happened yet. And I have been agonizing over this even while getting ready for Infinity War. Big stuff's happening. We're we're basically going to fix the the best untold comic book movie movies or TV shows out there is what we're gonna do. So Hollywood, you better be ready. We're coming we're coming at you with with gold. Essentially, we're ready, and you get your checkbooks ready. Do it. All right. Thanks for listening, folks. We'll get at you next week. Have a good one. Uh-huh.